Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to January. It's Fireside Chat. It is it's actually 2024 now. Isn't that wild? I, I think we're probably all still at a phase where we're maybe still writing 2023 in our emails or calendars or various things. Maybe, maybe you've adjusted. I'm not fully there yet, but either way, I'm very excited to be chatting with you all today about a very fun topic which is retention for your subscription. And it's actually, it's funny. I, I picked to do this topic today for a very specific reason, and it's mainly to me mess with you all, um, but in a good way. And I'm not saying that, I don't want to do that in a bad way. Um, so why am I doing this today? Why are we talking about retention? Um, I'll tell you in a minute. I am obligated to first introduce myself. So for folks who are new, who might not know who I am, might not know what this is. Um, this is Scriptions for Authors Fireside Chat. Um, we do these every month on the last Friday, uh, first Friday, woo, first Friday of the month, um, from 3 to 4.30 p.m. Eastern. Um, you all are in the right place, which is which is great. You all know how to get here. And another great thing about these chats is that they're recorded. So if you have to pop out early, um, if you want to review this, all is well. We are recording it, and we're very grateful to have you all with us. Now, we do a lot of other things besides Fireside Chats. I work with Amelia, Amelia Rose. She's an amazing subscription author. Well, she's an amazing romance author who has a subscription make that makes six figures a year, and she's an incredible person. Um, we also have some great people in the group. we got Anna, Ariel all the all-stars who help us out. So we create a lot of different resources for y'all. There's a blog, we have a podcast. Um, we have free books that you can get to learn about how to grow your subscription. A lot of amazing content. And I'm just going to link to our main website um, at subscriptionsforauthors.com. And I'm sure Anna might be dropping other links in the chat as I mentioned it throughout our talk today. Um, so with that introduction, um, and I want to talk about retention and why we're doing it today of all days. And it's the beginning of the year. A lot of us are probably thinking, and rightfully so, about goals for the year. Or maybe you thought about it at the end of last month. Either way, between this fireside chat and the last fireside chat, I'm going to almost be certain that you were planning out some goals. So I'd love to hear from folks. Um, you should be able to um, unmute yourself. I just, uh, yeah, yeah, you should be able to. Um, you can either speak up or if you're shy, you can put it in the chat. I'd love to hear what some of your goals are. It doesn't have to be with subscriptions, but it can for your author career this year. What are you hoping for in 2024? Don't Hi, be Michael. It's hey, how's it going? I haven't told him, like forever, but how are you? Happy New Year. Um, I want to say that, you know what, and I meant to do a post in the group, but Reese Barton did a uh, 12 Days of Christmas for Spicy PNR that really helped to kickstart my new year because I gained, so it was just basically a round robin of 12, or, 12 authors every day leading up to Christmas. And then we kept them, the books available to followers throughout December, till December 31st. And I gained like, I don't know, a hundred followers. And then some converted to members. And um, 
it was incredible. So my goal for this year is to, and retention because two of them fell off. <laughs> but um, my goal is to try to at least get four people a month and to retain the ones that I have. And then the question that I also have is if is anyone is sending an email to people to just follow up if they cancel, is that something someone is doing just to see how, why, that type of thing? I love it. Nice well, um, I love that the cross promo went so well for you. Um, I've actually heard from like a number of authors who are in that same cross promo. And it, it seems like it, from everyone I've talked to it, it, it went really well. Um, and to, to be, to be clear, when you say you want four new people every month, are you talking about getting four new followers or four new paid members? I'm only asking just because I'm curious. Sure. No, four new paid, because I really, yes. since we last spoke, I really cleaned up my list. I dropped it to just 5,000 and the open rate is really good. So I'm trying to really, and I separated my organic so that there are no, and I'm not going to do any more book funnel promo. So what I'm doing is I'm trying to groom my existing list of people and the people that have, in my sense for me, organic means that they signed up either on my website or from the back of my book matter, that they will get more tailored things. And those be my warmer list and trying to get them to be ream followers to subscribers. So that's why I'm thinking if I can get about four subscribers, definitely followers, I would say probably like 50, 20 followers a month at least, but to get them to be Interesting. followers. Yeah. Uh, subscribers. No, I think, I think you're, you're, you're on the right. I love, there's a lot of what I love about what you just said. Um, and I think you're, you're on the right track in many different ways. One, in terms of your growth, um, you ended off the year on a great note, but two, um, I want to dive a little bit more into the specific goal setting because I'm going to read some comments in the chat that we have. Um, we have Kimberly saying that they want to focus on building a community. That's, that's, that's a great goal. We have Liz saying establishing a sustainable schedule for my new subscription. That's exciting, Liz. Congrats on the new subscription too. It's really exciting. Uh, Chris, Chris Banner. Hello, Chris. Uh, she says, I'd like to create engagement with my readers. Okay. Dax. Hello, Dax. Great to have you here. Dax says, I want an active CUNY on me, shifting my focus from KU to wide subscription direct sales. Very valid. There's a lot of people in that boat right now. Jessica wants to finish the website build that, that she's working on, which is a big project and that author website live. Jeff, my goal is to get Ream launched, which is mostly done as it's soft launch now and being announced wide on the 15th. Amazing. And also taking only James course, and I'm sure they're going to give me more goals for this year for my subscription. Exciting. Victoria says, my goal is to network more. It's taken me a few months, but to realize that I'm not competing with other subscription offers, I'm offering something different. No one else can offer me. I'm excited about the Valentine's Day multi-author cross promo we're doing for our followers to try and convert them. Bethany says, find a way to make subscription sustainable. I'm reading all these out for a reason. Um, find a way to make subscription sustainable for me and build a solid community around that. About 50 subscribers and a few hundred followers feels like a good goal to start with for the year. Okay, okay. So um, 
today we're talking about retention, right? And retentions involve a lot of numbers and math. And that's like not things that we love, uh, most of us. I actually kind of enjoy numbers and math, but I understand that most authors and like you're probably not like a nerdy science fiction guy like me. You probably don't like numbers and math all that much. And if you do, um, sometimes they can get in our head and they get in my head all the time. Um, but, but, right? So retention is really a number. It's a metric. And we've never actually done... Um, we did one of the fireside chats about a number, which is how to price your subscription. All the other fireside chats have been about different foundational concepts. This fireside chat's about retention and retention is fundamentally a number, but it's more than that. And it's interesting because your goals all gives you all some feedback on your goals. Um, and this is not at all a framework I came up with. It's a framework that many, many people use, but it's called the smart framework. I'm sure people maybe are hearing that and have been familiar with it. Um, but Smart is, a, is, I'll send a link in the chat actually to a good article about it. It's a goal setting framework that you could use for anything in life, which is why I love it. Um, and the the framework itself um, helps you when you're looking ahead at a new year um, or anything you want. Think about um, how can I make a goal that is achievable? How can I make a goal that is going to be good for me? And there's five pillars to SMART. Um, so the five pillars are specific, realistic, assignable. Um, then there's um. Oh, sorry, I, I totally went off on yeah. The specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, and time bound. I went I went on a total tangent with different adjectives. So specific, right? This is um. This is something that workshopping your goals. Some of you did do. Some of you didn't do, right? Um. Some of you had a little bit more, and I'm not picking anyone, but like focusing on building a community. And I'm only doing this to help you all. So I'm not at all saying that was a bad goal. That's a great goal. But if we want to make that better, maybe we want to make that a little bit more specific, right? What does it mean to build a community? What does that look like for you? Where is that going to be? How are you going to do it, right? There's a little bit more to it than just build a community. So that's a good starting point, but I think we can do better than that. Measurable is another thing. You know, someone said, I think something to the effect of, um, creating engagement with readers. Engagement is measurable. It is measurable. But how are you going to measure that? Are you going to measure engagement based off of comments and likes? Are you going to be measuring engagement based off of, you know, newsletter opens? Like, how are you doing that? I'm going to offer advice on that because that's fundamentally actually what we're going to be talking about. Um, but that's one thing. Then there's achievable. This one's so hard <laughs> because like, what is achievable? I'm going to give you some benchmarks when we talk about retention, but a lot of us aren't thinking about retention, which is what we're going to dive about. Uh, talk a little bit more about in terms of what we probably all really think about is like growth in terms of new readers, right? That's what we're really after. I mean, yeah, it's nice to retain our existing audience. And yes, we really do want to do that. But a lot of us set goals where we want to grow from 10 paid members to five, 50 paid members, or in the case of, you know, um, Charmaine, who... I loved everything you said, you know, wants to grow by four paid members a month. That is specific. That is measurable. That, that is hopefully achievable. But that's the thing. What makes this industry really weird um, in terms of what's achievable. And this is, again, me offering, you know, my advice on how to think about setting goals is like, it's really weird. Like usually when I talk to authors, like one of two things happens. And this is true for myself too. You either like, drastically undershoot your goal. I'm not going to call it failure, but undershoot what that target was, or you do a lot better. Um, it's like, 
we're not in that kind of industry where like there's usually smooth month over month growth or consistent growth forever. Like the graph doesn't go up forever, right? At some point it levels out. What does that mean? I mean, one, that means like retention is going to be important to all of you at some point because it's very hard to consistently grow your readership forever. Those are like unicorn authors and they're very rare. Uh, but the second thing that's really important is that when actually thinking about what's achievable, I would really think about what you can control. And when if you set all of your goals based on metrics that you can't control, it can make it feel really defeating at times when it like the agency of your career is like almost out of your hands. That's why like goals related to production, goals related to be consistent are like always goals I recommend setting. That doesn't mean you can't have a goal related to like a measurable outcome in terms of finances or audience growth, but I'd be careful hinging your entire year success on that one goal because it's hard. Like, like it's hard to like build an author career on a timeline, yet we live in linear time. Um, I know that sounds like weird, but it's like, yeah, some things take a long time to build, to grow. And we're going to be highlighting that point a few times today. Um, the next thing that a SMART goal is, is relevant. And I'm going to just offer like some, some advice on this. Like we didn't have too many people saying things like this, but like a lot of authors I know will be like, I want to redo all my automation sequences. Like I'm going to go in and like, you know, go and do that. Um, which is like, great. Like automation sequences are important, but like how relevant is that to your overall goal? Which your overall goal probably is most likely either to be a full-time author, to continue being a full-time author, or to take steps to be making more money in your writing career. If that's not you, if that doesn't resonate with you, um, that is like, totally okay. Like we still love you and I'm glad you're here. Most of us are probably focused on turning our stories and our passion into a business, whether that's a side hustle or a bona fide full-time income, right? So what is going to be relevant in terms of driving that overarching goal, like the big vision, the mission we have to make a living from our passions, to be able to create awesome stories for readers that also gives us an awesome life. How do we do that? Well, it depends on what stage you're at, but for a lot of us, like is the automation sequence going to be the thing that changes your career? Is hyper-focusing on the correct tier copy or getting that correct tier image that looks perfect going to be the thing that's truly relevant to making a difference? Obviously, the tough part is we don't always know. Sometimes like little things can make a big difference. I always talk to authors that like sometimes it's like just a small change in the tone of your email that can increase your conversions by 20%. So it's not, you know, the little things aren't unimportant, but you have to really decide what little things you should focus on because we can sometimes get caught in a trap of maybe setting achievable goals, setting things that we can control, things that are measurable, setting things that are specific, but they're not actually things that matter in terms of going to our overall goal. And the last thing, right? The last thing here before we dive into retention is time bound, right? It is actually important that goals are time bound to hold you accountable. It's, you know, it's one thing to say, I want a goal to at some point write this book. But when that book has a deadline, it becomes more powerful. Now we all know that. And subscriptions give a lot of us deadlines. They make things time out. I need to close out that tab. Um, sorry about that. Um, so with that said, that's like our 2024 planning and thinking about the new year ahead. And a common thing that a lot of you said, um, maybe not actually super explicitly, but I'm sure a lot of you would agree if we did like a raise of hands. I'm not gonna ask you to do that. Um, I'm sure all of you really want to grow your audience this year. Like, I don't, I don't, if we were to do that, I think everyone would be like, yeah, I really do want to grow my audience, right? Like, who doesn't? Like, it's a great thing. Well, 
What's so funny is today we're talking about retention, which retention is not explicitly about growing your audience. Retention, the one sentence definition, it's really simple. It's about keeping your existing audience as fans of yours. Like, think about this. How many musicians have did you listen to that you're like, oh yeah, it's been like 10 years since I've listened to them. Uh, but they've been creating music all those 10 years. Or authors, the same way. You read one of their books, but you haven't read the 50 others, right? Retention's about really turning a reader into someone who's you know a casual buyer of your books, who's maybe one, read one or two of your stories into a lifelong fan. I mean, retention is kind of how we can measure super fans which I want to talk more about, the measuring of super fans, why retention is a really valuable metric um, and some things that are maybe achievable retention targets. Um, so we can actually plan smart goals around a retention and help you actually achieve that. But why am I talking about this today? So today, um, and I'm giving you all, like we're not announcing this right now, probably gonna announce it maybe either late tonight or tomorrow. Um, but Discoveries live on Reem. Now there's going to be some bugs that you might find because this is like the, I shouldn't say beta, but like this is like the public beta. It's going like fully live soon. Um, and if you want your book to be discoverable on Reem, to find new readers on Reem, you'll have to go in and categorize your stories based on the genres, romance pairings, all that that we have in there. Um, yes, I will talk about that in the end after retention. I do want to um, actually retain you all here. So I'm giving you the reason to stick around to the end. Um, see what I did there. But I also, um, funnily enough, know that obviously this is the biggest update we've had and that this is really exciting and that it's so fun to you know try and gain more fans. And that's exactly why I'm talking to you today about how to keep your existing fans. Um, I know, weird, weird reverse psychology there. But I think in any moment that we want to grow, it's really important to think, how do we keep our existing fans? Because that's what this is all about in the long run. And that's what Reem's about. We want to help you get paid subscriptions, people who stick around. It's really kind of like pointless both for us and for you if like your readers stick around for one month and leave. And that can happen. And that doesn't mean you're doing a bad job because one reader leaving after a month, that happens a lot. But if all of your readers are reading, leaving every single month, it's 0% retention. That's that's not at all good for anyone. We want them to stick around. And that's what I want to help you do today, to help you learn how to keep your readers around because we've just launched something that can help you um, actually keep them. And Alexa, you did find a bug. I did see that. Um, I've been in the kind of like, I don't, I don't know how to position what my role is and things, but I, I see all the things that happen um, and... Uh, I'm I'm very grateful that you found that. Um, that's why we haven't launched it publicly yet. Um, because the funny thing is like, uh, we don't actually have that much books to test things on locally. Like we kind of have to get things live and see a lot of stories um, to like see if discoveries are working the way we planned it for it because um, we can't just like write a hundred books to test discovery. Like you all wrote the books, let's test it together. Um, but with that said, that really exciting update. Let's, let's dive into retention. Um, and... Now that you know why we're talking about it today, which is important. So there's three core things that we're going to talk about. I'll probably spend about 30 minutes talking. Um, I might leave a point in the middle for questions. Definitely in the end, there'll be questions. And then probably for like the final like 30 minutes or so, we're definitely going to be talking about discovery. I imagine you're going to have uh, questions about that, um, which I'm very happy to answer. Um, and I'll share with you everything that I know about it. I, I don't I don't want to hold back on that. And I also 
do want to mention, of course, it's going to change and evolve in a good way. We really worked hard to make this a really good launch. This isn't like just a, you know, first draft. This is hopefully something really beautiful, but we still want to keep making it better. So with that said, what are we going to be covering today about retention? So three things. First is I think the fallacy around how we think our mindset around retention. Second is what I'll call your retention system. We're going to talk about the, the metrics around retention, how those are powerful. And we're going to talk about how you can actually use specific tactics to retain readers. Then the last thing that we're going to do is talk about marketing and how you can actually use this new mindset to market more effectively, um, which is going to tie in very nice to our discovery conversation. So that's the roadmap for our conversation. I will be open and honest. I actually do not have slides. Um, so I didn't, I didn't have time to make slides with discovery logic today. Things were mad in a, in a beautiful way, um, but I've got it all in my head and on a piece of paper that I'm going to share with you all. So definitely want to take notes um, on and um, I'll structure my thoughts as if they're slides for you. Um, but I didn't want to put together like the most ugly slides in the world in 15 minutes. And I was like, oh, all right, we're, we're going, we're going solo here, but you all listen to the podcast, you know how it goes. So first part. The, the fallacy that I see, the, the almost broken mindset that we see in publishing up to this point, um, is that it's all about new sales. Let's look at a platform like Amazon and how we find new readers on Amazon. Which I'm not picking an Amazon um, in a bad way um, because there's other platforms designed this way too. And what they're designed around is if you want to rank you know, in the charts, if you want to be 10,000 in the store, right? That's not actually an indication of you know how popular books are overall. It's mostly over the last 24 hours. And a little bit of 48 hours, a little bit of a week considered it, it's like an exponential decay, right? So what this means is like to continue getting discovery on Amazon, we have to continue finding new readers, continue feeding the beast. Um, and Amazon just won't give us discovery. Like, like that's not a they're not gonna do that. Um that I mean. Obviously, over the long run, if you have like a million readers, right, I'm sure there's still also bots and things like that that have built up in those algos over time. But with these special, again, almost unicorn exceptions for most of us, we have to constantly be trying to get new sales just to try and get some organic sales. And it's this constant battle we're in. And we probably spend most of our time thinking about that. And rightfully so, because like that's how we grow our business, right? We grow our business when we get book sales. And we either have two options, like write more books really, really fast to try and like get new books up so that there's our existing readers can keep buying it and keep marketing those and launching those. And you're just in this endless cycle, right? There's nothing wrong with that cycle. Okay. It's great to write and I love writing, but it's a, it's a cycle, right? It's this hamster wheel of constantly trying to get new sales. And there's nothing wrong with that, except that's not actually how the business of publishing works. Like even if you don't have a subscription, right? And some of you here don't have a subscription and that's okay. I, you don't have to have a subscription. And also to be very clear on Reem, you can not have a subscription and still get discovery on the platform. Um, I know I'm almost like spoiling something here for the end, but um, right now, as of this very moment, um, we don't actually count like paid members into the algorithm. Um, this is partially because we don't want to give authors who have large paid member audiences on the platform already head start. We're really doing this based off of like the actual readers on the platform reading the stories, like the reading, the the reading data, like what readers are reading which chapters, right? That's how we're recommending stories. Um, so with that said, like one, 
when it comes to discovery, even with what we're talking about today, you, you can still make use of the update on Ream and you don't have to necessarily start a paid subscription today. Hopefully you will want to do that because you'll want to make some money after readers start reading your books, but you can start finding readers right away. Okay, so that, that's part one that I just wanted to mention. But part two, even more importantly, even more importantly, is that again, if you don't have a subscription, which many of you here don't, and that's okay, and many of you here do, and even if you do, you probably also monetize through a la carte sales, maybe through crowdfunding, other methods. This concept of subscription behavior is the foundation of everything in publishing. What do I mean by this? What I mean is that you will not have a business in the long run as an author if you can't get readers to continually come back to your works, right? Like some of us write in series, a lot of us do. And that's a very easy way. I shouldn't say easy. It's actually very hard to write a great series. So scratch that word. It, it's intuitive how readers can be retained when you're writing a series. Book one, book two, book three, book four. Serials, chapter one, chapter two, chapter three. For standalone authors and you know, you're still probably writing things in connected subgenres. So readers are going to want more, right? And that is the core retention. And when we get back to marketing, we're going to talk a lot more about this, a lot more about this. But very clearly, not every reader is created equal from a business standpoint, their impact on our business, right? Just getting an extra sale isn't actually the thing we should be chasing. We want to be chasing, well, you could argue you don't want to be chasing anything. I want you guys to be, you know, having fun. I want you to be stressed out all the time, but what you should be shooting for our super fans who are going to come back for more and more of your work because that's what this business of publishing is built on, retention. And yes, Alexa, you'll definitely be able to see stats uh, soon. That's going to be, um, uh, we're, we're working on more publishing and scheduling stuff in the, the very, very near future. Um, but the analytics are very important to me and they're very important to lots of authors. So, so yeah, we're going to get them out. Um, but when it comes to retention, I hope we now understand how, like, even if you don't have a subscription, this idea of retention is, is everything. A lot of times we call it read-through rate when we're talking about a la carte sales. In the world of subscriptions, we call it retention. Why I love subscription models and why I think they're really powerful are because readers are kind of already subscribing to your books anyways, even if they, like, are opening up their credit card each time to like buy their book, your book again, they're like implicitly subscribing to you when they say they want to keep being around. And it's why Ream also has following. Um, we're a subscription platform, but we have following that allows readers to subscribe to you for free because maybe a reader doesn't want to pay to subscribe to you, but they still want to get updates, right? That's an implicitly subscribing to you, even if it's not with money. So now that we understand that with retention, a lot of times we're so focused on that top line growth how can we get new people in the door, new readers in the door, right? And that becomes our goals. Like when we focus on 2024, that's why we started with this exercise. And with that as our goal, right? We're just become obsessed with it. Like all we want is new readers. And then we can do cross promos. We can do all these different things that, that can all work. But going in with the wrong mindset of, we really just want to grow our follower count. We really just want to grow a reader count. And I'd argue that, yeah, but if they're not eventually going to become paid members or something analogous to that, what does a thousand followers mean who don't ever read your stories? Like that's just a number, pretty meaningless number. Um, a thousand paid members um, who are continuing to say subscribe to you, I'd argue is is, is not a meaningless number because um, they're giving you money. Um, and 
if they're continuing to give you money, like that's a pretty good sign, right? It's a very low barrier to entry to follow someone and then unsubscribe um, and then, you know, churn out but without you ever seeing it. So with all this is supposed to mean is that a lot of us get started and have this pressure to really get going, right? Like we start and we go, we want to grow, grow, we want to grow, we want to become big, we want to 10x this year, whatever we want to do, want to hit $1,000 a month, want to hit $10,000 a month, want to maybe get our first $100 a month. All these are great goals. But what if you thought a little differently about it? What if you thought, I want to get my first super fan? And that might mean $5 a month because maybe they subscribe to one of tiers. But what that really means is I want to figure out that I am able to actually get someone to stick around with my books. I share this lesson because this is really personal to me. Um, the kind of traditional term is like a leaky funnel, like trying to market something, trying to spend ad money, trying to scale something when it's leaky. Um, a good example of this is like, imagine taking a boat like out to sail. Like you're almost like, your author career is like building a boat. And imagine taking that boat out to the ocean and it has all these holes in it. How hard would you have to work to keep that thing afloat, to keep rowing ahead? It'd be so hard. Meanwhile, think about the person who sat on the shores, was a little bit more patient, didn't start as early as that person, maybe didn't even start as fast, but they built a really strong boat. No leaks, maybe a few here and there, but it was really strong. It was very sturdy. It kept that water out. It kept that momentum in. And they were able just to keep going forward. Well, I was definitely the guy with the leaky boat. Um, I like jumped into the water. Actually, I probably didn't even have a boat. I probably had like floaties and was trying to make it work in choppy waters, which is really not a good idea because the publishing industry is certainly choppy and floaties are not going to cut it. But that's what I did. And when I got started, many of you know, written 12 science fiction novels. And in that time, I never made it as a full-time author. Amelia did. I love Amelia. Um, that's why I love working with her. She teaches me what it's like to actually be successful. Um, I have not had that feeling yet as an author, but I can speak to you from a feeling of failure. That feeling of failure was partially self-inflicted. Actually, I shouldn't say partially. It was uh, almost entirely. And here's why. I was so focused on growth. My goal when I really was dedicating myself to becoming a full-time author in a year was to go from roughly $0 in revenue, roughly. Um, technically, there's an infinity difference between one and zero, but still it, this was, you know, this was a big, th this was not a, a big leap. We're talking like 20 bucks a month. And I wanted to get to $10,000 revenue a month in one year. This is it's just a crazy goal. I managed to get to like 1500 at my peak, which again, sounds decent, but it really wasn't. I was spending like $1,200 a month on ads. I was losing money when I counted my cover costs and editing in. And why, why was I doing, like, why was I losing money? It wasn't because I was bad at running ads. It wasn't because the ads didn't work. It was because my readers weren't valuable enough to me from a monetary standpoint, okay? I love my readers, but they weren't sticking around. They weren't reading from book one to book two to book three. If I had a subscription, which at the time I didn't, I was in KU, but if I had a subscription, I would have had very low retention. The thing is, because I didn't have a subscription, it was actually very hard for me to see what my retention was. And I'm going to be honest, my mind was definitely playing tricks with itself. It was telling me that like the readers will eventually keep reading, right? Like it might take them a couple months to read through. And at some point you realize that time's not coming. Like the read through rate's a lot lower and you're not going to make the revenue that you thought, which means that I was technically again, making money, but actually losing money. So don't be like me. Um, just to, to understand the scale of this mistake, um, 
I, uh, it was like over $10,000 and it was all the money I had, um, which like also speaks to just, you know, I definitely like taking risks, but that was really, really bad. Um, and I worked really hard, like so many of you to save up money for that. Um, thousands of hours, late, late nights, 18 hour days to save up the money. And I blew it all because I wasn't focused on this one word, which is retention. And when I learned my lesson, I learned it the hard way. So I hope you don't have to learn it the hard way. Part one. Now let's go to part two. How do we actually retain readers? Now, and then we're going to get to part three, the fun part, which is how do we get new readers with retention in mind? How do we get new readers likely to be retained by us? Okay. But first we got to talk about how to retain readers. So I want to talk about the math behind retention because I think it's really powerful. And it's something that is almost unfathomable to imagine how powerful it is. So I'm actually going to pull out my calculator in front of you all to see this calculation because I'm a freaking nerd. Um, but we're going to go to give me, give me a starting number for like what would be a really good subscription. Like give me a number a month. Like you would be like, this is awesome. $20. $20. We can think bigger than that, guys. 400 I like that, Dax. I like where you're going with it. Let's start with $400. Um, I know some of you in this call are making $400 a month. So I like, yeah, we, we can we can think a little bigger. So we start with $400, right? Oh, this actually makes it, this would require me knowing how to use a calculator um, on Google. So I never said I was like, actually good at math. Um, I just kind of enjoy numbers, but I'll show you the average retention for an author subscription. And then I'll show you the best retention I've seen. And there's a correlation between these. Um, so the average retention of an author subscription, and this isn't bad if you're worse than this. First of all, let me say a huge disclaimer. If you have one paid member and they leave, that means you have a 0% retention over that period of time because they left and you have one member. But that is not a bad thing. You just don't have a big enough sample size. And in the beginning, that's okay. That's okay. You know, and you shouldn't beat yourself up about these numbers too much in the beginning. But $400 is a decent amount because we'll pretend that this author has maybe like 40 paid members. The average amount we see someone paying per month to subscribe to an author is $9 a month. So technically, we're probably talking 44 paid members. That's a that's a really decent amount. That's really good. And that gives us an indication. Like if you have a 0% retention at 44 paid members, that means that every month you have to find 44 new paid members. So clearly that seems wild. But let's go to the average. 9%. 7 to 9% of the average. So 9% is the high end. We're going to do 8% in the middle. So somewhere between seven to 9% of readers drop off every month. That's what we see as the average. Okay. That doesn't sound too bad, to be honest. That means you're going down from 40 to 44 to 40 members. And then you have to grow by, let's say, three or four members to make it up. That's not that bad. Okay. Over one month, we can all do that mental math. That's not too hard. But what if we think about it over a year? Let's do this. So 1.09 to the 12th is what we want to do. 
wait, no, no, no. This is me doing math in real time. Um, so no, we don't want to do that. That's for growth. What we want to do is 0 0.91 to the 12. See, I, this is math. Um, just let me do the math in front of you. Um, do you see that number? That means that if you have a 9%, which is the high end of acceptable, right? In terms of our average, that's the average. 7 to 9% is what we see. It, it fluctuates. Like this is monthly on the Ream platform, like in terms of that fluctuation, in terms of what we see across all authors as an aggregate, okay? That's the average. So 9% is the high end of that average. What that means is that if you don't grow at all in a year, you're only going to have 32% of your existing paid members by the end of the year. That means you're going to have to grow that, you know, you're going to have to make that up in growth just to stay where you are. That's not that crazy, actually. That's not, again, this is the high end of that, but let's just look at what a slight improvement does because that's 0.91. That means every month you have 91% of your readers um, sticking around. You have a 9% a churn rate, right? 91% of your readers are sticking around. Okay, 91% retention. The opposite of retention is churn. I don't want to get too up into these metrics too much, but I, I want to get to the math at least a little bit. So let's say, pretend you have a 93% retention, or in other words, each month, 7% of readers leave, which is what we see as like the, you know, the other end of like, this isn't great retention. This is like, again, average-ish. It would fluctuate between 7 and 9%. So let's see this end. 41%. See, that's a huge difference, okay? That's really not that bad, like if you think about it. But now I want to show you what a good subscription does. What a good subscription does. A good subscription, not great. I said good. Seven to nine percent is decent, you know, not bad, but I want you all to do better. I want to help you all do better. What does a good description do? That's a 5% churn rate or 95%. This is very good, guys. If you beat this, that's amazing. But this is this is really good. 54%. That's actually not that bad. Think about that. And over the course of a year, people coming in, coming out, sharing your audience, that's not that bad. But then let me show you something else crazier. There's authors that I've seen, and though I will not name their names, but have make thousands of dollars a month. And there's usually a correlation between the biggest authors have the the lowest churn rate or therefore the highest retention. And the most elite retentions that I've seen have basically been in that 98 to 99% retention rate month over month. And like I said, the other numbers for averages, the best authors are really doing these kind of elite numbers. Almost unfathomable, these numbers. If I click enter here, it means there's 83% retaining over here. I've actually seen even better than this. The best I've seen is 90% with a statistically significant portion of people, which I count as a couple hundred dollars. That is crazy. Do you know how strong that is to know that like you only have to have 10% new readers coming in a year to stick where you're at? That is like an unbelievable recurring revenue stream. That's what we want. That's what we want, right? I'm going to tell you some tips on how to do that. But first, even more importantly, I want to talk about another concept. I didn't ask you the author's paid member count. I asked you their revenue. 
right? Their revenue. This is something we see time and time again. And it's actually surprising, but oftentimes, oftentimes, when we look at retention, when we look at drop off, right? Who's dropping off? The readers that drop off the most are usually the ones at the lower tiers. And this isn't to say that it's because of, you know, always financial reasons or always because these readers like you less. There's a lot of different factors, okay? I wish I had the cause of like what causes a reader to leave a description. I don't have a, a scientific cause for you. But what I can tell you is that sometimes thinking about these numbers in terms of paid member count isn't actually the most helpful. Because sometimes you want people to leave your subscription. Let's look at another scenario. So let's pretend that an author for evens numbers has a hundred paid members in a month, right? Actually, let me, um, I think I could do a wipe. This is like getting into chalkboard stuff. I've never done a chalkboard. Um, it's like, we're actually in math class, but I like, I want y'all to see this. Cause I, I say numbers a lot. Um, chalkboard site. Let me, let me go find one, um, for us because I'm like talking in real time here. I'm like, you guys need to see this. So use chalkboard, get started. Like maybe create an account. This is going to be really funny. Create an account live with you. So what I want y'all to see is actually how, all right, no, we're, we're going to go to my notes app. This is, this is uh, not being friendly to me. I don't want to create an account live. I just want to make a graph. So we're going to my notes app. I'm live on my notes app now. Hopefully I'll see it. So what I want to do is show you what revenue retention looks like. The most important concept to get about retention subscriptions because all the time I see people and I, and I get it, it freaking hurts to see someone leave. But here's the key. They might not be the person you want to even be focusing on in the beginning. And it's nice to say that and be like, oh, foo-foo, but it's like, oh, well, someone's leaving. That's That means less retention, right? Not necessarily. So... If we're going to get super nerdy about what retention means, retention overall is, is a bunch of different things. But if we're going to talk about revenue retention, which this is what I want you all to think about. It's nice to have 100 paid members. But like we've talked about, if they're paying like a dollar a month, which you don't even let you do on read, right? Versus $100 a month. Like, would you rather be making $100 a month or $10,000 a month, right? Like, I'd rather be at $10,000 a month. So what I want to think about is the money that we're making. That's what we care about, okay? So revenue retention is the metric, but how do we calculate that? This is a really, and this is something too that like, I don't actually expect you all to like actually even do this for yourself. Like I know this, like 90% of y'all are not gonna go home and like figure out your re revenue retention right now. Or if you do, you're not gonna be consistent about it. And I don't think that's a bad thing for the record, okay? Completely, completely fine. But I want you to get it. I want you to get what this is because it's so important. So revenue retention. In simple terms, this is how much money month over month is retained in your subscription. Here's an example. If you make $100 from a group of 50 members one month, and that same group of people pays you $90 the next month, right? Now we're at 90% revenue retention. Seems simple enough, right? Okay. But there's something deeper here. There's something way, way deeper, which is that look at what I just said here. 
50 members one month. Same. I'm going to put it in caps. Same group of people. The same group of people. The same exact group of people. So this means if you take 50 reader emails, you get. And the great thing about reading is you get to see all of this. So if you are a nerd like me, you could actually do this. And maybe eventually we'll build all this into the the back end, but like I don't want to like give people heart attacks signing a dream. But like, um, think about this. You get the emails that come in one month. Okay, these are all my fifty paid members as of month one. In month two, some of those paid members, right, are gonna leave. That sucks. Let's pretend in this example that of fifty members, you know. Which, by the way, this is like a poor math. I'm just like doing easy numbers here. A hundred dollars like from 50 members is impossible on Ream because they have to pay you minimum three dollars a month. So I'm just making that super, super clear. Um, but because I want to do simple math, I think that's good for all of us. Let's say 50 members in month one turns into 45 paid members in month two and five followers. What this means, right, is five people unsubscribed. Okay. See that math problem? That's not too bad. Okay. Well, that right there then would make sense. That's 90% revenue member retention. And if they're all at a $2 tier, right? 50 members at $2 a month. And that's it. Okay. Fair. But that's the simple way of thinking about it. There's a better way to think about it. There's a better way to use your subscription. So the real power of revenue retention is when we calculate something else. Okay? And I'm really, really excited about this. Your subscription is not about the members you keep and lose. It's about the money you keep and lose. Let me read that again. Your subscription is not about the members you keep and lose. It's about the money you keep and lose. The money. Okay. Very importantly, we're looking at a cohort, right? This is what in, in subscription businesses, they call these cohorts this is a cohort analysis we're doing. And, and no, I'm not going into like advanced financial analysis right now. That's, that's ridiculous. Um, but, but like, let's, let's keep it. There's these simple numbers, 50 members. Okay. Stick with 50. Okay, cool. 50. I got that. But let's pretend they're not all on made up $2 tiers. Let's instead pretend that we have $3 tier with 35 members in it. Maybe we have, actually, that's hard math. I'm sticking to two. Um, maybe we do, yeah, see, this is why I did two. Three is just such an annoying number. Um, but like for math, okay, like it's a, it's a good number. It's just for math, okay. $5 tier with 10 members in it. And then maybe you have a $10 tier with five members, okay? And again, this is to keep math simple. Um, the average reader pays an author $9 a month on Unream. So, um, you know, I'm not telling you to price your tiers at this example. This is to keep math simple so we can visualize this. So what this means in this theoretical example, right? This person's making $70 a month here. They're making $50 a month here. They're making $50 a month here. Whoa. Do, do you see this? 10% of their members 
which is five. Five people are almost giving them the same amount as 35 people. Wow. That's really interesting. So now we can look at this concept of revenue retention in a new light. So again, remember the concept. We're taking the same group of 50 people. Very importantly, because retention is not about growth of, of new people. It's growth within your existing audience, growth or ungrowth, which can actually grow your existing audience's revenue. This is how we're going to show it. So in this example, right, maybe five people still leave. Okay. So 50 members, five people unsubscribe, 45 members. And again, we're not looking at new people that came in. New people may have come in that month. That doesn't matter for revenue retention. For revenue retention, we're only looking at the existing people and how they fared in the next month. So some of them left, five, 45 stayed. 10% is not a bad churn rate. It's also not great. I, I would be thinking, you know, if I'm seeing this month over month, again, like you need to look at these numbers for multiple months in a row because even at like the scale of 50 people, which seems like a lot, you might have a bigger drop off some month, really little less month. And maybe you'll see patterns in that, but it'll I'll average out to a different number. But again, examples can't get too into the weeds. So five people on Scribe, you have 45 members. Okay. So you would think this is a 10, 10% churn rate or the inverse of that is 90% retention, right? And we're going to look and see like, I guess we have some room for improvement here, which is potentially true. But, but maybe something else happened here. Maybe something else happened. So we have five people who are unsubscribed now. Okay. So they're going to be generating $0 per month. And there's multiple reasons people unsubscribe. And in today's talk, I, I will share the reasons people do unsubscribe, but like, we're just going to get like so into the weeds and I, I can't get into all the details. Um, like I, I do, sh I've, I've shared the details in places, but like I can't, I can't do all of them here, but there's two reasons people unsubscribe. It's either active or passive. Okay. Passive is when there's payment failures. Active is when they actually decide they want to unsubscribe. So like they cancel themselves. Um, why we always see some degree of churn, even if no one wants to leave is because of payment failures. Payment failures on average are, they vary, but usually they're like, three-ish percent per month, but it depends on the countries your reader's in. It depends on the time of year. It depends on the tier amount. Like there's many, many variables. And just know that 70% of these actually come back to you within two weeks. Like the payment failures are able to be made up, which is why it's really actually hard to get an accurate retention number, um, which is which is like always fun um, when the metrics that we care about are very tough to be accurate. Just like with KU page reads, because you have people rereading and bots and all these things. Um, this is just like a flaw in like, calculations and how payment failures work because if there's a payment being recouped this is why i'm not going into all those details right now okay just, just let's just pretend these people unsubscribe for the same reasons and we're not gonna get into all the nuances right now because this isn't a master class it's just a fireside chat so five people unsubscribe at zero dollars okay fine what if though we have 30 people and our two dollars here Okay. Okay. And then we have five, five dollars here with the same ten numbers, right? Oh, yeah, five dollars here. I need to do this actually. Let's let me have even formatting for my math problem here. 
it's been a long time since I've done math, folks. Um, tier of five members, but I, I like math. Um, and then ten dollar tier, um, with um five members. And I'm changing this. I know. Gotta get it. Gotta get. Gotta get it right. There we go. This is our math problem now. So what we're looking at here is everyone who's unsubscribed was in that two dollar tier. No one upgraded, but everyone who unsubscribed was in that two dollar tier. What does that look like? Well, we're gonna be making sixty dollars a month from the two dollar tier. We're going to be making the same $50 here, the same $50 here. But what does this actually look like from a revenue retention standpoint? Now we're going to do the numbers. In month one, right, made $170. It's really decent. That's a great subscription, y'all. really is. It's great. Month two, made $160 from that same cohort. Again, you may have actually made more than that because you may have grown, but from the same cohort because we're looking at retention. Okay, just to be very, very clear. $160. Well, if we do the quick math on that, right? That's not 90% retention. That's 94%. That's really good. That's really good. Now, this is a realistic example. I could have shown you a, a much more grotesque one um, that like was very obvious in terms of like the concept I'm trying to show you. Um, but what I'm really looking to demonstrate here is that some readers, if they unsubscribe, it's okay. That's not all the same thing. And this is when we go to building your retention system because what if instead in this same example, just like you got 10% of people to unsubscribe, you also got 10% of people to upgrade. What would that look like? Well, we would have seen then, example part two. Doo -doo 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 -doo. Promise, we're getting some here, okay? Innovation. So we have, again, five people who unsubscribe. The same amount unsubscribed, but instead you had $2 tier with 25 members. Jeez, it looks like a lot lower. That $2 tier is down. You look at that and you might be like disheartened. But that $5 tier now has 13 members. And that $10 tier now has seven members. Same numbers. This is the same math, everyone. I'm doing this live so you all can see it. 50. But now this is 65. And now this is 70. And if we do this, right? 50 plus 65 plus 70. The quick math, and this actually is in my head, would be $185. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, that, from a retention standpoint, is positive. That month over month retention is above 100%, which you're not going to be able to keep forever, okay? I'm not saying that's realistic or that can happen forever. But this is how we balance out the rocky months. Because now we get into the truth about retention, which is that why I gave you a range of 7 to 9% and didn't give you like the middle number of 8% was to already train you all from the beginning of this conversation and thinking about the important concept about retention, which is that in businesses like us, like Netflix, right? Netflix has about a 3% month month retention, which like even Netflix has a lot of churn. If you do 1.03, like 97.97 to the 12th, you'll realize that Netflix uses like 30% of their customer base each year. And that's why Netflix is marketing everywhere all the time. Like, like, you know, that's, that's normal, but, but 
one is where is Netflix losing a lot of their customers? I don't actually have studied their financial balance sheet that much. And they might not even share these numbers, but I would imagine that the bulk of their customers are turning at the lower tiers rather than the higher premium subscription tiers. Um, and that too, revenue retention wise might look better than them, better than their raw churn rate. But for you, why I share this really wonky calculation is that you understand a very, very important concept, which is that at a smaller scale compared to like KU, which has millions of subscribers, our business looks a lot like this. Doop, 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 doop. It's not as predictable. Okay. Even though subscriptions are predictable, more predictable than the retailers in terms of your own net income, it still goes up and down, right? So your retention is never going to be exactly the same each month. And that's why some months you might have 80% retention, a 20% churn. And you might be like, oh my God, it's the sky's falling. It's not, it's not falling. Maybe you just stopped a book that your readers really liked and you're going to begin starting a new one next month, but like you're a human being who needs some time off or you're actually writing that book and that new book isn't out yet. Maybe they really liked one book box and they all upgraded, but then they decided to downgrade so that they're not actually unsubscribing, but you see that revenue number dip. And that's not because again, you're losing fans or they're not liking your work. It's just, they got the book box they were there for, and maybe they'll come back for their one later, but they don't want it next month. What this does, right? Why I paint this picture for you is to add nuances to how we think about keeping our readers and unsubscribe. And when we see a down month, you also have to understand that you can create a month that has above 100% retention. It is possible to have above 100% revenue retention. It's not even that hard. It just requires getting your readers to upgrade, keeping those super fans, giving them something awesome and letting the people go who want to go, which is when we get back to our core point, our core point of this whole thing, which is that it's about finding the people who want to stick around with you. And sometimes I would way rather a subscription that yeah, 10% of people are leaving each month, maybe even 15% of people are leaving each month, but you also found a way to get the people at the $3 tier to also upgrade. You got the right people in and the right people are like, I'm sticking around, this is what I love. And the people who were like, oh, this isn't for me. Yeah, they're leaving. That's not a bad system. In the end, that could be even more profitable than trying to keep everyone. Because like I said before, not all your readers are created equal. They're, you know, some of them are better for you. And some of them might be better for another author. And that might change another year because they'll come back and forth. That's how this stuff works. That's why we all get to work together. With all that said, I'm going to give three easy takeaways because I know this like actually was probably mind numbing. Um, like at this point, like you, pr I probably lost all of you. Um, so let me return to three actual steps that you can take to actually boost your retention. Um, the first one and the second one are going to be tactics. The third is going to be a strategy. Um, and is the most important. So what is the first one as a tactic? The first one is to reach out to all of your readers in their first days of joining. This could be an automated email. This could be one-on-one, -on -one, especially in the beginning. Ask them how it's going. Ask them if they have any questions. See if you can help them. There's a really, really amazing stat about subscriptions, which is that there's a point in every subscription when someone becomes a subscriber for life. It's called the retention point. And you can see it on a graph. If you were to graph out this cohort, revenue retention, what you would see is that at some point, the churn would actually drop. The churn might even go to zero for a cohort. Like, let's pretend that we followed like almost cyberstock, the same group of 50 readers, which don't cyberstock people. I said that for humor. Um, the same group of 50 people. And I'm sorry, like, if I'm like really out in La La Land right now, like this is so important to understand though. If that same group of 50 people like goes from month one to month 12, right? And now we're at month 13, maybe 15 have unsubscribed at this point. 
that other 35 are different tiers. Well, now we're going to look at that same group of people, the same group of 50, what it looks like with month 13 through 24. Maybe some of the people who've unsubscribed now have reactivated. Okay, that's very common. But what we also could see, and it's really, really big, is at some point, those readers who've stuck around for a certain level of time, they're just not going to go anywhere. That happens. That's called the retention point. There's a great book about it. I almost hesitate to recommend it, but it's called Retention Point. You could find it. Uh, why I say I hesitate to recommend it is because it's so like, it's so like just so deep in the weeds of this topic. And like, if, if, like if you are the one human being listening to this, actually wanting more of it, just go read Retention Point. But the advice I'm about to give you is trying to accelerate your reader's movement to the retention point. You want to get the right people to the retention point as fast as possible so that they become a subscriber for life. Because we actually can see that in the data. Because the churn is concentrated in the beginning of a subscriber's history, which is why... The average subscription on Reem is 13 to 14 months, but that's an average. That's not a helpful number because that means that's averaging out the people who are going to be sticking around for years, the people who are leaving after one month. And disproportionately, we see people at, it's a bimodal distribution, okay? And those who don't know bimodal distribution, it has two peaks. So if the average revenue retention is somewhere in the middle at 13 or 14 months, in reality, most people will not stay 13 or 14 months. Most people will either leave in the first few months or stay forever. And when I say forever, we're talking years and years and years. So the obvious thing is how can I focus on the people who are sticking around forever, find more of them. And then yeah, the people who are leaving the first couple months, like so many authors, like, oh my God, I have one paid subscriber and they left in a couple months. Like, that's okay. Like, that doesn't mean you have a bad subscription. Like, this is what we see. So how can we accelerate that journey? Because what we want is to get people over that hump, literally, if you look at that bimodal distribution, you can think of it as a hump. How do you get people over that? How do you cross that valley into becoming a forever fan? How do you do that? Okay. Now that I shared even more context, we're going to get with the two practical things. Practical, practical things. Number one, like I said, contact them. Contact them, contact them. In the first 30 days of them subscribing, this is one why we have a welcome email that it goes out automatically, right? And the welcome email is really important. You, If you haven't set up a welcome email, set one up, make it really personable. That is such an important thing. The first impression is so important. It's so important. And reaching out to them at some point in the first seven to 14 days is really, really helpful. Why? There's some authors that I feel like get the sense that once they have a paid subscriber, they're like nervous to like actually like have the paid subscriber check out their subscription because there's like a fear that like if they check out the subscription, they're going to like start reading your stories and be like, oh, this isn't worth $5 a month. What am I doing here? And then leave. Guess what? You want them to do that. There's data that very strongly supports that readers anyone too. This is across all subscriptions, but especially readers. Readers, if they don't actually enjoy your subscription the first 30 days, if they don't actually go and use it, right? Because they're busy. They got caught up in something. Their most likely action isn't to be like, oh, that's right. I got billed $5. Now I'm going to go back and actually read those books this next month and maybe say subscribe, right? No, they're going to just unsubscribe. They're not going to give you a chance. And it's not because they didn't like your books. That's not because, it's not even because they necessarily can't afford it. It's because they can't afford to pay for something that they're not using. That's pretty normal. Not many people can pay afford to pay for things they're not using, um, right? And that's why like when we hear readers say, I can't afford this, there's something coded in that. A lot of times it's they can't afford something that they aren't actually getting a lot of usage out of. So how can you drive usage of your subscription, AKA get your readers into it? Well, here's the thing, people are busy and the toughest thing is actually getting someone to build a habit. That's why the first 30 days are everything in a subscriber's history. So doing something in addition to the welcome email to try and bring readers in, to try and engage them, to try and incentivize them to come into your stories and experience your benefits is so important. Because if you can do that and they like it, they might just become a forever reader. They may just hit the retention point within the first three days. And if they don't like it, guess what? 
they're gone. That's fine. They're not going to upgrade later, but we're talking about revenue retention. We're not talking about member retention. You want to lose the members that don't want to stick around forever because that's okay. Tactic two, okay? Tactic two is on-ramping people into your CUNY. This is really, really important with discovery coming on a platform like Green. Really, really important. The concept of on-ramping, okay? Um, and I've never talked about this because this wasn't even a concern. Um, but now it's essential. So what is on-ramping? On-ramping is taking someone who's not used to the norms and habits of a community or an author and getting them up to speed with it. So in the story world, what this means is we want to make it really easy for our readers to like get caught up with our community, to dive into like great parts of our backlist, and to kind of get like the tour de force of our subscription. Um, we also want to make it really easy for people who aren't yet subscribers to begin becoming subscribers. A lot of us are coming from retailers. A lot of us are bringing our audience from other platforms. And that's beautiful for them. They've already been onboarded in many ways through your newsletter list, through, you know, through traditional mechanisms and retailers. But in the subscription platform, it's like, what if someone just stumbles on your subscription? What if someone just stumbles on a chapter of your story and starts reading it? How are you letting them know that they should become a follower or that they should become a paid member when they hit those chapter walls? This is where author notes are super important. I'm not telling you to do anything crazy complex. Author notes are so important because just on-ramping them into, hey, you can expect this many chapters a week. Hey, here are links to some of my other backlist titles that if you subscribe, these links will actually give you access to the stories, which you can do in Ream. You can copy a link to a story. And then if they get access to it, um, when they subscribe, then like that link will work. And if they don't subscribe, then that link will just show them a story that they can't read. Regardless, like these are the very simple tactics that make a huge difference. You know how many people I see doing this? effectively, almost no one on Ream is actually doing this effectively. I'm being honest. Y'all suck at this. Um, I think it's because you just don't know, which is why I've created this webinar. Um, and y'all are awesome. But it's it's the simple, simple, simple things that can do it. Those are the tactics, right? The simple tactics. And I wish just doing this would help all of you. But the truth is that number three is the most important thing. And number three is not the easy thing. Number three is the strategy point. Number three is the big picture point that is actually really hard. And this is why, yeah, a lot of authors in Ream aren't utilizing these two tactics, but they still have really decent subscriptions, right? Um, and it's why I'm not like nervously sending out midnight meetings being like, the whole platform's going to collapse because you all haven't put author's notes in. Like, nah, it's it's fine. That will boost retention. That will, that will help things. And guess what? Like improvements like that make a big difference. But what is going to really, really drive retention? It's focusing on the one benefit your readers want, the one benefit that's going to keep your readers there. The biggest quote that I came from in the book Retention Point the biggest quote was about a very simple concept. This idea that value is like water. Too little of it and you 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 know you 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 die because you dehydrate, but too much of it and you drown. And that means you also die. Sorry to go to death. A little morbid, a little morbid, but but if we take that visceral picture around deserts, think about this for our readers. If we drown our readers in benefits, drown our readers in value, that does nothing. It does nothing for them. It actually makes it less valuable because they're overwhelmed, don't know where to begin, which is what we just talked about. It's so valuable to understand where, where do we begin? And obviously too little of it, if you're giving nothing to your readers, if you're you know, over-promising and under-delivering, like, yeah, like that's bad, all right? So we want to find that middle ground. Well, here's the deal. Finding that middle ground and maintaining that middle ground is the challenge of a subscription. There might be a moment where like one very specific story is getting your readers to want to subscribe to you. What happens when that story ends? That's when we might see churn spike. 
But then it might reverse when you figure out that new thing that's getting viewers interested. Maybe it's a new tier that you're coming out with, an upgrade to a book box. Maybe it's maybe it's a new series that that hits. Maybe it's a bonus scene or novella that gets someone interested. This is when we dive into the execution of like creating something great that your readers love and being in tune to what your readers want. And this is where using polls to try and get feedback on like what is keeping people here and keeping things simple is so important because you don't want to do too much and have muddy data. You don't want to do too much and drown your readers and drown yourself. Um, because that's not going to retain them. Creating one amazing thing that will get them to the retention point and that will get them to become a forever fan is the purpose of a subscription. With that, I don't think I've ever articulated that maybe as clearly or succinctly as that. And I've totally ranted way longer than I thought. But I want to wrap it up with five more minutes uh, before we go into questions, which there will be, and I will talk about discovery. Um, although this was not a call about discovery. Um, so I didn't clickbait you all. Um, but obviously, I know you want to talk about it. What I want to talk about now is now knowing this, how do we think about finding readers differently? How do we think about marketing differently? The big question, because we do all want to grow and growth is necessary. I mean, this sounds really morbid, but like every business on earth needs to grow. Um, this sounds like so capitalist and I'm, I'm sorry, but like if you want to make the same amount of money, like there's people who go to the story land forever and that happens. Um, and that's a very normal thing and it's really sad. But like when these things happen, like how do we, we need to grow, right? To re replace that reader, to replace that income. Um, and, you know, bigger philosophical conversation, whether that's right or wrong and all this stuff, that is just how the world works if you want to you know, continue having a sustainable business. So growth is is a fact of life. It is something that we all need to do. But how do we think about sustainable growth, right? Sustainable growth is not 10% month over month growth. It is not, oh, I grew by five here, five there. That is a lie. That is bullshit. That, that doesn't work like that. Growth is not sustainable in that way. Sustainable growth means I maybe found 100 new readers that month. Maybe I found five new readers that month, whatever it is, but I'm getting them to stick around. That's the sustainable part of growth. The sustainable part of growth is retention. So how do you grow with a focus on retaining the readers that you grow? So we talked about how to retain readers once they're there, but how do we find the right readers? How do we find readers that will be retained? This is where less is more also goes back to the strategy. And I did not plant this seed, but we had Charmaine talk about cross-promotion. And I want to give an example about this because it's very easy for me to say, you know, if you get a million of the wrong readers to read your book, that's not the right thing. You don't want to pay for the wrong readers to read your books. They're not going to be retained. So how do you get the right readers to read your book? And a lot of times we just feel like we have to flail to find more readers. And we are doing a bunch of different things to try and do that, right? And we can get overwhelmed and we get stressed out. And then that number of 10 reads becomes the sole dopamine and thing keeping us going. Maybe I'm just getting talking about myself now, but I've definitely done this. And, and then you end up actually losing sight of what really matters, which is retention. Okay, so how do we get away from this? Less is more. This one cross promotion. I've so many authors have done cross motions that like haven't worked. There's one cross motion that yes, was led by Reese Barton. She's a genius. She's amazing. Was focused, right? It wasn't, we're going to go do 10 things for Christmas. We're going to do one thing really, really well. We're going to really focus on all cross promoting each other, all focusing on, you know, with our existing members and our communities, bringing this to our super fans, not just lists of random people that, that we've acquired. Like these are our super fans. We're going to market each other to our super fans and grow together. And the results of it were pretty astounding across the board. Um, you know, people gaining you know, like $100 a month is the best I've heard that someone grew their subscription. I mean, think about that, like a one cross promo potentially leading to like $1,000. We'll see if it sticks, but they've all retained up to this point. That is crazy. They were utilizing things like the promotions, the discount codes, all this to, to get people in to warm them through this. That takes time. That takes effort. But that's way better. That one marketing activity is great growth for like a quarter for most of us, like for like a 90 days. Like if that was all you did in 90 days to market your book, that's a very big success. 
you want to focus on the activities that are going to bring in the readers who are going to stick around for life. And it's not about what mailing list is going to give me the most readers. It's not about what Facebook ad will give me the most reach. It's about what is going to give me more super fans. And that changes everything in publishing. With that said, um, hopefully that affects how you'll also categorize your books. Um, I say this both because I love you all, both because I know how y'all work. When you see a new platform, you always want to game the system. And to be frank, there's no gaming the ring system. We're based around retention and membership and you can't trick readers. Readers are smarter than you. Readers are smarter than me. Readers read books they love and it's about as simple as that. They're going to keep reading books they love and they're going to describe to people that they trust and love. That's what Ream is about. And with discovery, it's really important to go into it with that mindset. So as you go in to categorize your books, as you go in to pick your genres, as you go in to do your tags, that is the number one thing to think about. How do I create an experience that's relevant and that's going to attract the right readers? And we've tried to build a system that will continue to evolve, but that's really darn well that I will say I'm basically 100% confident is better than any other platform at being able to give you the ability to be able to actually categorize your books in a way that can be most likely to reach readers who are going to love it. I firmly believe that. We don't have the most readers on the Ream platform, which is why you know, you're not going to see the most growth on Ream overnight, but you're going to see some things for sure. And you're going to see that readers are going to be able to fall in love with the books that they find on Ream because it's such a robust categorization system. Um, with that said, I'm going to link to some of those help guides. Y'all can check them out. It's a very intuitive system, um, but I'm sure you all will have some questions. Um, and with that said, that was my retention talk. Um, why did I go so deep? Why did I nerd out so much? Um, some of you might know that I'm retiring soon, but not actually. I'm retiring from these fireside chats. And over the next five months, um, June will be my last one. I'm kind of hitting the last pillars of subscriptions that I want to talk about. And then after that, um, Anna and Ariel are going to be running these fireside chats. They're going to do a great job. They'll bring in some guests. They'll do some themselves and they'll be great. And they're probably never going to be like this again. They're not going to get so heady or advanced or crazy like this. They're going to be much just more normal and fun. Um, but these are the fun things. So hopefully you enjoy the next six months with me as I take you on the adventure down the crazy rabbit holes that subscriptions can bring you and change how you think about publishing. So I hope this talk did that for you. Um, and uh, that's... Yeah, that's really it for me. I want to open up to questions. I'm really sorry about this, like, like, like almost like, um, you know, the math of everything I brought in. But I hope if you re-listen to it, if you take these insights in, like, if I knew this when I started, everything would have been different. And there's a reason that I wanted to start reading. And it wasn't because I saw Amelia doing subscriptions and thought, wow, I want to make money because like in subscriptions, because subscriptions are so awesome. It was understanding like, yeah, like that's true, but there's something bigger here about how we can shift how, sorry, I, dude, you're good. Don't worry about it. Um, I, I've been in a hotel and that's my roommate's uh, alarm taking a nap. It's late here. Don't worry about it. Um, so uh, um, regardless of that, uh, the, the biggest thing that I felt so passionate about is why I'm so passionate about discovery is like, we need to change how we think about publishing about the, from the ground up. And that's what we try to do with discovery, like to change how you think about it, to really be focused on bringing the right people in. Because we're not trying to build some big mega overall subscription. We're trying to build your subscription, we're trying to build your subscription. We really want to do that. And I faced the downsides of a system that wasn't built to at all incentivize this or have us think about things like this. And it led me to really, really dark places that I've been open about. Um, then you could listen to other videos. You could find my YouTube channel. You could find the podcast where I talk into my life story about the future of publishing. 
So I don't want to get into all that here, but like, just know that this is so something I'm so, so passionate about. And that's why I shared this with you today when we're launching Discovery, because we're launching Discovery to try and get you super fans. That's why. We're not launching Discovery just to get you 10 extra reads. And also it's why, like, to be frank, like, let's be real here. It's, we're a very small team. So we always have to like, you know, cut around the edges and be like, well, what, what's going to go later? What are we going to release now? You're right. Ream doesn't have any readership analytics. The analytics we give you are your followers and your paid members. And look, we are going to give you more analytics. It's it's very important. Like I'm not going to underscore that. But we're launching Discovery without you being able to see the number of pages read, which I know I'm like underhyping Discovery. It's a great launch. But like to set the expectations clear, you can't see the readers right now who are reading your books. You don't know until if someone's reading your books until they follow you or become a paid member. That will change. I can promise you that because it's really important for us to build. But why did we not include it in the, in the initial launch? Why did we think it wasn't essential? Because what we wanted, the thing that's essential is readers reading books they love. And they can do that without caring about how much people are reading the story, right? So it wasn't essential for them. So we wanted to get this out there as soon as we could. Um, and for you all, I wanted you to understand something very simple, which is that Ream, despite it being able to get you new readers, and that's important, the most important thing is getting you new paid members. That's why starting with this, and again, I'm not saying that we're never going to release it. We're, we will release it sooner than rather than later. Um, but that's why like you being able to still see your paid members and still see who's sticking around month over month, that is the core metric that matters regardless. That is the core metric. And that's what you can see on Ream. And that's what we want for you to be able to experience. So with that said, um, I will share some things about Discovery that you probably want to know. So um, one is, I already mentioned this, but as of right now, the algorithm doesn't take into account someone's followers or paid members. I guess I should like scream that from a rooftop because uh, I think people will really enjoy that. Um, it's just counting in like the, the people who are being read um, in various genres and tags and things of this nature. Um, so the rising reamers, you'll see there's five different sections of Discovery. So there's one, the featured author list. Um, the featured authors will change um, regularly. Um, we're not sure if it's going to be monthly or weekly and they're randomized. There's a pool of featured authors. Um, we're testing that out. We think it's a fun feature um, and we're going to be featuring new authors there. Um, so we're, we're going to figure that out in real time in terms of how we handle that because that is the only part that's curated. The rest of Ream is entirely algorithmically driven. Um, and the algorithm itself to be very clear, again, it's not based off of followers or paid members. It's based off of the people reading your stories, but there's more to it than that. There's more to it than that. What we're really looking at is, and it goes very deep. There's a whole waiting system here. Um, and it starts first with the genre, main genre weighted the most. Then it goes down to, you know, romance pairings, if that's applicable, diversity tags, if you choose to use those. Um, and then we go to content warnings and tags with strong tags being emphasized more than weak tags. All of this we put together. And when a reader starts reading a book and reading chapters in a book, as they read more chapters in a book, we kind of determine that they're liking a story like that. So when they go to then search for a story that says fantasy, we'll then map what we show them, the books that we show them, Weight them based on not only the fantasy stories that are getting reads on the platform, but the fantasy stories that are most similar to the fantasy stories that they've already read or the stories that contain fantasy subgenres or fantasy regardless, right? Like fantasy related tags. Like we're, we're mapping that on an individual level. 
in search. And that's even when someone clicks like list and then genre and then goes to see fantasy books and genre or literary RPG books or thriller books. That's how that works. Your books will not show up in this until you choose the categories. And since we redid our entire category system, you have to re-choose them again. So you have to go in and do that, and then you'll be able to show up in that. Yes, you can search for author name. Um, you can also search for um, authors by genre. So you can search for fantasy or search for trope or search for setting. And then authors who have tags and stories like that will show up. If authors have like, you know, if if there's an author with like, you know, tons and tons of romance stories, but like one thriller story, they're going to be weighted a lot less for thriller because it's a lower portion of the stories, but higher for romance, right? These things are pretty intuitive. Um, and that's really how they work. There's, not, there's no other special sauce to it. Um, it's hyper, hyper personalized. Um, in terms of the rising reamers list, that's the only part of the site that is like right now standardized um, aside from, um, you know, the featured author list. And that's algorithmically driven. And that's pretty easy um, in terms of how it works. It's just a collection of the top performing stories in the platform that were published within the last 30 days. That's very key. They have to be published their new stories in the platform um, and it adjusts in real time. So it's not hourly, it's literally by the minute as there's new stories that rank in that. Um, and that's what we call the rising reamers. Um, but yeah, everything else is designed around what stories we actually see readers reading. So it's interesting, like in terms of like how I would approach it, because I'm saying this without like any data about how this is actually going to work because we're seeing this in real time with you all and we haven't even publicly announced it yet. So, and we're not announcing it to readers for probably another three days. Um, why is because if we brought a bunch of readers there now, we wouldn't give authors the chance to like recategorize their stories. So readers are finding it. There's like hundreds of readers constantly on Reem. So like there's already readers using it, but it's not going to be the big, you know, we're not making an announcement about it to the reader list yet purposely. So you have some time to recategorize your books. Um, we're going to probably make that announcement Monday. Um, but in the meantime, um, another thing you should know about how it works that is really, really key, that is really important, um, is how, um, so I was actually just reading in chat. There's we're we're fixing like lots of things in real time, um, which is really fun. Um, but um, in in terms of my strategy, like what would I do to to grow on Reem? Um, because I really want you all to grow on Reem. Um, so there's two levers you can pull on. Um, and there's really three three levers you can pull on. Excuse me. So the first lever is how you categorize your stories, right? Since we're showing most of Reem's discovery is driven by relevancy at a hyper-personalized level, what you want to do is be able to get readers who have read stories similar to yours in the platform that are basically indexed as such with categories, with, um, you know, in terms of genres, in terms of romance pairings, in terms of diversity tags, right? Categorizing your stories accurately is going to be huge. Why is because when you get readers to read more chapters into your story, you will get more discovery. That's how it works, right? It's like if a bunch of readers read chapter one, that's great. But if an author has, you know, if a an author is a deeper book and readers are reading more into it, that's going to be a better thing for discovery because that's retention within your story, right? So obviously having the right readers come in is going to weight you higher to find more of the right readers. And more of the right readers is going to get you more paid subscribers. Likewise, you're going to probably want to give readers a sampling before they really get into it. Like to make some chapters public on the platform, 
is really not a bad idea if you're trying to get a book discovered on Reem. Um, you don't have to do that. Um, also, because of how Reem works, you can offer a book for early access to your fans, your paid subscribers, and then that book be can become not early access and can be available to everyone after, right? Um, Reem effectively is turning into, I shouldn't even turning into, Reem is, I, I think, certainly at this point, the best serial fiction platform in the world for authors in terms of how it's categorized and how readers are able to find stories at a personalized level. I mean, that's really what I would think about Reem at a fundamental level. Um, and you can monetize again through early access, through subscriptions in that. Like that's what we're optimized for. So if I was thinking about Discovery on Reem, that's how I'd think about it. Um, and since you all have plenty of stories and broad content catalogs, you might realize that certain stories are optimized for this while certain stories aren't. You might want to do this with a certain series. You might not want to. That's up to you. Um, but the third lever I'd pull on, right, is we're not focused on the number of followers and paid members. We're not. Like, at least that's not what's driving this, right? What's driving this is readership. Um, and readers don't even need an account on Ream to begin reading. Um, like, we're going to log that in a browser, right? Um so if you're able to send readers to your Ream like you already are doing, like we already have taught you in the podcast and for years, um, if you're able to consistently send readers to your Ream, if you're able to share your stories on Ream, maybe post a few chapters here, host some of your stories here, um, you will get a boost because you're going to be able to get readers reading your chapters. Um, and that then will set off the virtuous cycle of discovery within Ream. Um the good news is that, again, you don't have to have a million paid subscribers to do this. Anyone can go in and share their story with a few people, do cross promos, and get readers reading. Because once we see readers reading your stories on Ream, we can start to tell the types of readers on Ream that will be most likely to read those stories. But you kind of, you don't need something to kick off. There's plenty of stories now that have zero reads that are visible on Ream because we're just getting started. But that's like what's going to start to kick off that cycle for you. And then the data within Ream will be able to carry, right? Because we now can see that. Um, this is why also thinking about a system like this, we're trying to deliver personalized stories to each reader. You know, we don't have a ranking systems based on like sales in the last 24 hours. The only thing that is based off of like recency is the rising Reamers, which is not a bestseller list. It's called rising Reamers. So it's like, it's not supposed to be like serious, but it's supposed to be like really cool if you're a rising Reamer. But we're not claiming to be the next New York Times bestselling list. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's like a lot of information. Um, but I hope that helps and um, gives you guys some of a strategy about how to go about this um, and in terms of how I'd think about it. Um, and to be frank too, you know, I mentioned serial fiction, but like to be frankly, like completely honest, like first in series three will probably end up doing pretty well right now, things this nature. And, and look, we're going to be adjusting things. So this is how like the algorithm works now. Um, it, like really as transparent as I can be. Um, I'm not even sure of the entire like exact numbers in the waiting system because I don't remember it. Sean shared it with me, but I don't remember all of it. And that's not the important part. The important part is that's how the system works. But um, it will be adjusted over time almost certainly. I don't think in huge ways, and I will announce when we do make make adjustments and see if they work. Um, I don't think there's going to be drastic adjustments because like at the end of the day, we want to see readers reading stories. And if readers are continuing to read a story and read deeper chapters into it, and then we personalize that to, you know, future recommendations that they'll get to hopefully show them stories similar to the books that they've already read. Like, there we go. That's kind of what this is all about. Um, so I don't see any drastic changes. Um, but if there are changes, I will be sure to let you all know. Um, so we got a few questions. So one is, do tags function like keywords? Yes. Um, I mean, no. So actually, yes and yes tags are what readers enter into search but unlike amazon everything readers enter into search like 
like everything you're doing is being weighted for that. So like your genre, your um, your main genre specifically is weighted the highest. Your subgenres, your your tags, your romance pairings, all of that is weighted in. So like for instance, um, how on Ream, like if you're an MM author, right? Um, if you want to have an MM book discovered, you would put an MM romance pairing. And then now for when you type in MM romance, MM this subgenre, MM that, you know, you're going to rank for that. Now, where are you going to rank most relevantly? Well, if you're an MM romance book overall, right, there's going to be more competition for a word like that um, because it's more general. So if you're obviously MM romance, you're relevant to that. And now what we're going to be doing with that is not ranking it overall where all of the search terms are the same things for readers. Instead, it's going to show MM romance books that are most similar to MM romance books that person has already read or just stories in general that person has already read if they haven't read an MM romance book yet or a book categorized that. So then we look at all the other different tags and categories to weight the relevance on a user level. Like the relevance is weighted per search, right? Um, so I hope that helps, but basically everything's taken into account. That's why everything's in that system. Like when a reader enters that search bar, everything you put on that details page when it comes to not the book description, okay? Not the book description, not the short description. You don't need to get like keyword stuff that. That's annoying, that's terrible. But like, it's just not a good reader experience. The book description should be about how do I interest readers in reading my story? Because you've got them to click. The, you know, things that you actually need to think about from the algorithm standpoint and nothing else is the actual readership. Are they reading your story, most importantly? And then in terms of the personalization that takes place, the diversity tags, the genres, the romance pairings, the, um, oh, blanking. We're going to wait. Um, the uh, content warnings. Um, and uh, there's one more thing. Oh, the regular text. Um, yeah, yeah, that's that's that. I mean, Victoria, people can put whatever they want, Victoria. Like, we're going to show them. Like, they'll if they put MM in their search term, they will see MM stories. Um, and if they want to get more specific, um, then, you know, then they will show them specific MM stories, right? Like if they want to see MM, you know, MM Omega with Omegaverse or MM this, right? You would use all these tags to be able to like get more specific MM set in this universe, MM with this trope, um, et cetera. Um, and that works that way with everything. So readers can type in whatever they want. We, we don't want to make things hard for readers. Like readers, just tell us what you want. And ideally we can give them what they want because we've created a great system for how you all can categorize your books. And we're waiting all of that to display these things in the terms that readers care about. Yes, yes, exactly, Alexa. That is exactly correct. Um, we even have a help guide about that that I'll, I'll link to all the help guides on it. Um, but yes, that, that would be exactly it. We wanted to, it got to this situation where like, we wanted to represent all romance pairings, but then like, as you know, you could have M, 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 F, F, and like, it just got like a little unwieldy. And because of how we like rank romance pairings in the search algorithm, it was just going to be a nightmare to code and then a nightmare to update. So we wanted to kind of keep it with a little bit more general, and then you could put other and use, use, you know, that as a tag. Um, perfect. Yeah. Yeah. You got it. Um, it's pretty self-explanatory, but if you all like have actual questions about the system that are like a little bit more detailed, um, then I recommend 
going to uh, these articles. I'm still updating one of them, but that should be good. Good for now. Um, with that, um, I'm going to head out. Um, I hope y'all enjoyed this one. Um, big, big times. Exciting start to the year. Um, and uh, we're going to keep ranking Ream better. Um, Ream went into beta less than a year ago. So it, the platform hasn't even existed as a year and it has been launched well less than a year. Um, so this is just the beginning, uh, but we think a really exciting step forward. Um, I hope you all learned something and uh, we'll see y'all soon at the next one. We have another fireside chat next month. Um, and yeah, very good for y'all being here. Have a great rest of your day. Happy 2024. Storytellers rule the world.